David said in Psalm 122 in verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go up unto the house of the Lord. I thought about as I sat in the audience this morning, and we were singing, Each Day I'll Do, one of my favorite songs, the beautiful blending of voices, how wonderful it is to be able to gather together as Christians and to sing praises to God and encouragement to one another. As we have prayed our prayers and partaken of the Lord's Supper, we are truly a blessed people this morning. Blessed because God has given us a privilege to be able to attend an assembly where He is honored and we are encouraged. For those of you visiting, we're glad to have you. We want you to come back. Whatever we can do to try to make you feel welcome, please let us greet you. Please let us make you feel welcome. On Sunday mornings, we are studying from the book of 1 Corinthians, following along with the material that our children are studying in the Bible Bowl. And today we're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and so I invite you to open your Bibles to chapter 9 and let us begin our study there this morning. We're going to talk about the defense and the discharge of gospel preaching. As you begin the book of 1 Corinthians, you realize preaching is incredibly important because Paul says 14 times something about preaching. You begin in chapter 1 and verse 17, and you realize that Paul was assigned the obligation of preaching. He said in chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Paul was saying, God sent me to preach. We learn from chapter 1 and verse 21, That was God's plan for saving man. Paul would write, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That was God's plan to save man. That preaching is not always appreciated by men. In fact, there are various people who have various ideas about the message of the gospel of Christ. And Paul would write, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, but to the Greeks foolishness. When you think about the cross, preaching Jesus on a cross, the Jewish people looked at that and said, We cannot visualize a Savior who dies. And when you preached about a resurrection of the dead, Jesus crucified, raised in glory to the Greeks, that was nothing more than foolishness. And then finally, it's based upon God's wisdom, not upon man's. In chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul would write, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. My preaching is not about who I am or what I am. My preaching is about Jesus Christ and who He is. As we approach the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, there are going to be four things that we want to observe in this passage. 
the outline that we're going to be using, verses 1 through 2, Paul's defense of his personal status, that he is an apostle. Beginning with verse 3, going through verse 18, he will talk about his deferment of personal support. Uh, That's the main idea of the chapter. And then he's going to talk about the denial of his own personal liberty. What he could have done, but he chose not to do. He denied himself. And then finally, the discipline in his personal life in verses 24 through 27. So if you've got your Bibles open, let's begin now in verses 1 and 2. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now, when you see Paul start emphasizing his apostleship, some people may draw the conclusion, and incorrectly so, that Paul was somehow egotistical. I want you to know I'm an apostle. No, that's not it at all. Paul recognizes that God has given him a mission. A job, he said that in chapter 1, verse 17, verse 21, chapter 2, verse 4. God gave him a job. Now, what are you going to do with that job, Paul? I'm going to carry it out. But in order to do that, Paul has to assert his authority. You go to chapter, verse 18 of this chapter, and Paul will say, What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. When Paul emphasizes his apostleship, it's not about himself, but the authority of Christ. You go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 8. For even if I should boast somewhat about the authority which the Lord gave me for edification and not for your destruction. I shall not be ashamed. God gave Paul authority. And when he writes Titus in chapter 2 and verse 15, he says, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. Paul would say, I want you to understand, it's my authority given through God to preach and to teach this message. Now, how could the church at Corinth question the apostleship of Paul? He had, in fact, established the church there. All one has to do is to read Acts 18 and realize that Paul came preaching and teaching and people were converted there. Many of the Corinthians, hearing, believe, and were baptized, Acts chapter 18 and verse 8. But we learn that Paul would write them and stress the importance of, I am an apostle to you of all people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. 
Paul said clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. You are our epistle because we established the church among you. But then you move to the second long section of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 3 through 18. And Paul is going to talk about his deferral of personal support. Now this is an important section, and so I'm going to read it, and then we're going to notice a few details before we move on. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat or drink? Do we have no right to take along or a believing wife as do also the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink the milk of the flock, Do I say these things as a mere man, or does the law also say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when he treads out the grain. Is it the oxen that God is concerned about, or does he say it for our sakes altogether? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of the hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of those things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so for me. For it would be better for me to die than... Anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing uh, to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do it this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel... I may present the gospel of Christ without charge that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. See, Paul begins by asking a series of questions. And these questions are meant to evoke thought on their part and on our part as well. Do we not have the right to eat and to drink? Does not every person have the right to have a job to be able to go out and provide the food that they eat? You know, the Bible's very plain. If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. Obviously, a man should have that right to eat and drink. But also, does not one have the right to have a family? Paul talks about leading about 
a believing wife as the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and specifically Cephas or Peter in mind. If a man has a family, does he not have not only the right, but the responsibility to provide for that family? In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If a man is going to do something, he has the right and the responsibility to provide. In every occupation that you can think of, the person who participates in that should be able to have the right to expect the profit from it. If a man's going to be a soldier, he has the right of expectation that someone will provide for him his armament, his weapons of war, but not only that, his ability to eat and to be able to be clothed and have a place to stay. Paul said, whoever goes at war at his own expense. And then Paul speaks about the farmer who plants a vineyard and what does he eat? He eats the fruit of that vineyard. Here's a man who is a shepherd and he eats, drinks the milk of the flock. Even the Old Testament taught that. You don't muzzle the ox while he treads out the grain. That ox is going around and around. And Paul asks a real significant question. Is it the oxen that God is concerned about? Well, you'd say, well, yes, he wants the oxen to have something to eat. Well, why did he write it? The oxen don't read the Scriptures. You and I read the Scriptures. And the purpose is to teach us a lesson that that ox that is treading out the grain deserves to be able to eat from it. Those of us who are working, and then he will talk about those men who serve in the temple. And they offer the sacrifices. And he said the priest and those who offer those sacrifices partake of them as well. But you come to the New Testament. And Jesus himself teaches exactly the same thing. When he sent the disciples out on the limited commission in Matthew chapter 10, he said in verses 9 and 10, Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor a bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. For a worker is worthy of his food. The Lord is saying that those who work and serve in that capacity have the right to be supported. And thus it is not greed, nor is it sin, for a person who preaches the gospel to have some expectation of being supported by that. Twice in this passage, Paul says, I didn't take advantage of that right. I didn't take money from you. In fact, here's what he did. In Corinth, he made tents. You read in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, about Paul leaving Athens, coming to Corinth. He finds a Jew there, Aquila, wife Priscilla. And it says in verse 3, so because he was the same trade, he stayed with them and worked by occupation. They were tent makers. Paul, when he came there, decided to take time to stop from preaching to be able to work to provide for his own needs. Now, that wasn't the only way Paul did it because he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 8, he said... I robbed other churches taking wages from them that I might minister to you. You want you to understand 
Paul sometimes worked himself. Sometimes other people supported him. But the Corinthians did not do so. It was a right not exercised. And so he deferred, I'm not going to take it from you. I will take it or get it some other way. Now this is all going to tie together. That brings us to his denial of his own personal liberty. Now this is, in my judgment, where the message starts drawing to a crescendo. Here's why Paul's doing what he's doing. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God but under law toward Christ that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. Here's the phrase. It's just very, very valuable. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Now, when you think about what Paul says here, he answers only to God. Paul does not answer to the Corinthians, nor does he answer to anyone else, because here he chooses what he will do. And what he does is to deny his own personal liberty for the good of others. You know, Jesus said if a man was going to follow after him, he had to deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. The idea of self-denial is a part of Christianity. It's a part of being a child of God and doing what God wants us to do. And Paul is demonstrating that in his life. And he had taught the Corinthians to do that. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you see Paul teaching them this in more than one occasion. Let me just draw attention to two. You go back to chapter 6. You have brethren who are defrauding one another. And Paul is addressing a situation where you have somebody who's doing the defrauding and somebody who's being defrauded. And he makes a statement which sort of catches us off guard. He said, why not rather take the wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? And you would say, well, if I'm in the right, why should I have to accept that? And Paul says, because you're carrying that before unbelievers, what is happening, the church is being maligned because of that. And he said, if it's in the best interest, what you need to do is just accept the wrong. But my rights... But Paul says sometimes you need to deny yourself. Second illustration was the one we studied about last week in chapter 8. Part of that will again be next week in chapter 10. And Paul will emphasize we may have the right to eat meat. In fact, you may even have a right to eat a certain kind of meat. But he concluded by saying if Food causes my brother to stumble. I'll never eat meat again. 
Because in doing so, I might cause one of my brothers to stumble and lose his soul. You see, Paul says, we may have rights, but sometimes we have to forego those rights. We have to deny ourselves for the good of the gospel of Christ. Now, doing this, Paul was submitting to others to save them. And specifically, he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Now, Paul was a physical Jew. But he didn't live like the Jews. Because he knew that the Old Testament law had been done away with. However, Paul always showed respect for the Old Testament law so that he might have an opportunity to teach and convert those who were Jews. In fact, I suggest to you, if you want to see this illustrated, read Acts chapter 13 when Paul goes to Antioch of Pisidia. And there he preaches in the synagogue and he teaches them the Old Testament is leading us to Christ, much like he did when he wrote the book of Galatians. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 says, Indeed, you who are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God... These people rested on the law. How do you convert a Jew? You take him to the Old Testament and you show him that everything there is relating to Jesus Christ, but you show respect for that Old Testament law. That's the way Paul reached Jews. But second of all, he dealt with the Gentiles. The Gentiles did not have the law. That's the law of Moses. And because of not having that law, you had to approach them differently. You go to Acts chapter 14 and he comes to Lystra and Derbe and the Lyconian cities and he preaches the gospel there and he talks about God did us good giving us fruitful seasons. Or you go to Acts chapter 17 and you read about Paul in Athens and he says of one blood he made all men to dwell upon the face of the earth having determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. You see Paul says God's not far from each one of us. He didn't quote the Old Testament to them. He talked about God's goodness in nature. In Romans chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. For there's no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law by nature the things of the law, these, although they not having the law, are a law to themselves. Paul is describing their situation. And he said, when I was in the Gentile audience, what did it take to reach them? I became as like those without law. But then I think about what he said in our lesson last week. About those people whose consciences were weak. The people who were vulnerable. And Paul says, to the weak I became as weak. I put myself in their place. So that I could appreciate what they were being challenged with. 
Romans 15, 1 and 2, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for good, leading to edification. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. The idea of upholding the weak. I look at a weak person and I say, what does he need? How can I put myself in his position so that I might be able to save not only those who are under the law, those who are without the law, but those who are weak. Which leads me to the third aspect of this, or fourth aspect of this lesson, and that is the discipline in Paul's personal life. Let's look at those last four verses here. Verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may be able to obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now here is the thought in some people's mind. Well, this was easy for Paul. Paul could just deny himself of any of these things and that was easy for him. Let me ask the question, is it easy for you? Was it easy for the Corinthians? No, it's it's a challenge. You have to work at it. Doesn't come easily. But in order to be what God wants us to be, there's got to be some effort, some discipline on our part. And you say, well, what does that mean? To illustrate, Paul's going to use an athletic figure. Here's a wonderful illustration because it shows exactly what it takes. And the first thing that he does, he competes to win a prize. He's goal-oriented. He wants to win. Maybe it's a timely illustration. Some of you watched television last night. I know because you mentioned it to me. There's a team in Nashville that went all the way to Baltimore and they wanted to win. They were not the more talented team. They were not the higher rated team. Those men wanted to win that game and they put the effort out to do it. They competed because they wanted to win the prize. Now, here's something interesting. Paul says they do it for a perishable crown. You know what kind of crown they wore? It was a a weaving of greenery, garland, and to be placed on their head. It wouldn't be but a few days before all of the leaves and the vines would dry up and pretty soon it'd be nothing. But the idea, we want to win. It's just a temporary win. You've got got to play again next week. 
And if you win, you got to play again after that. But Paul said, what we are pursuing is an imperishable crown. We're pursuing something that when you win, you've won. What we're talking about is the preaching of the gospel for the saving of the soul. That's what it's all about. But in order to do that, you've got to exercise some self-control. I look at some of those men like Mr. Derrick Henry. Big boy. Strong. But occasionally I see some men like him who have gotten out of the sport and a few years later and they look like me. They're a little bit on the pudgy side. Because they're no longer in training. They're no longer following a strict regimen of a diet. They're not working out at the gym every day trying to tone those muscles so that they can tote big 300-pound linemen along with them as they run. You see, when it comes to being a Christian, there's got to be some self-discipline, temperate, self-control. Oh yes, there's got to be a spiritual diet. The food that we eat, the spiritual, the nourishment that we draw from. Yes, you've got to be spending some time studying and learning God's Word. But there's got to also be the exercise of that. You, you nourish the body so the body is able to exhibit what it has been given. And so you put into practice what you learn. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Those who by reason of use have exercises their senses to discern between good and evil. The exercise of it. But then he says, I don't run uncertainly. And I'm not like one who beats the air. I'm not swinging wildly. My, the blows that I'm seeing like a boxer, slinging is to land those blows, to, to hit where you intend to hit. There's got to be some intentionality there. You've got, to, you've got to plan to do what you're going to do. You know, we're going to try to reach the world with the gospel. We can't just hope that it happens. We've got to have some plan in all of this. But then you get to the last part. The discipline of Paul's personal life. He said, I have to bring my body into, body into bondage Daily, lest after I preach to others, I should be disqualified. The preacher must practice what he preaches. Or he's lost. You see, Paul is trying to persuade the Corinthians to put the gospel of Christ first and foremost in their lives. You think it's easy? No, it's not easy. It requires some self-denial, but I have to do that and have to do it daily. Because I don't want to be lost. I don't want you to be lost. Now here's the conclusion. Paul was devoted to seeing everyone have an opportunity to hear the gospel. He believed in the Great Commission. Going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16 verse 15. He believed that you should go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. He believed that. 
We ought to be willing to make some sacrifices for the furtherance of the gospel. That means when occasions present itself, do I please myself, do what I want to do, or do I stop and say, I need to talk to this person or that person, my family, my neighbors, my friends, my loved ones, to save their soul. It's a matter of priorities. Our wish should be the same as God's. And Paul wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. See, we're about to sing the invitation song. And God wants you to be saved. This congregation wants you to be saved. It is the Lord's personal invitation. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord calls us to do is to believe in Him. Repent of the sins that we have committed. Confess our faith in Him and be baptized. Yes, that's a part of the Lord's plan. The baptistry is ready. If your heart is ready... Why not make a decision this morning? If you're a Christian and you've sinned in your life and you want to be restored, now's the time to come home. We're going to sing, there's power in the blood and if you need to respond, please come as together we stand and sing.